Today on the J-Dorty Podcast, the United States of America has conducted a drone-based operation to kill Iranian military general Qasem Soleimani. President Trump continues to double down on his aggressive efforts against the Middle Eastern nation after they've responded with a myriad of threats against the United States. What is the appropriate response? Was Trump justified in authorizing the attack? And how or why does party politics intersect with the situation? Also, in 2020, Lana Bevy of presidential candidates are taking a unique approach to campaign advertising. Just how much are they spending? On what? And how does that compare to the 2016 election? We'll answer all that and more on episode number 117 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. This is the Jay Doherty Podcast. And now, broadcasting live from downtown Chicago, here's your host, Jay Doherty. That is correct, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast, episode number 117. Thank you very much for being here. 3.18 p.m. as we come on the air, Sunday, January 5th, 2020. It has been quite the week in terms of foreign policy, uh, and specifically the last couple of days of this week. It has escalated very, very quickly in terms of international conflict, specifically within the Middle East, within the United States, and surrounding nations. So we are going to get to all of it. There's so much to talk about, so I don't think we should waste any time. We should get right into it. The big story of this entire week is plastered over every single newspaper that you could literally ever imagine locally and nationally. The United States has conducted a drone operation to kill Iranian Major General Qasem Soleimani, And as a result, Iran is threatening revenge against the United States. Uh, This is without a doubt uh, one of the most, probably the most consequential uh, thing that the the Trump administration has done, uh, action that has been taken against the Middle East and combating terrorism uh, in a very, very aggressive stance, which Trump has promised for quite some time. Uh, and to go over kind of what is going to happen next, what happened in the present, we have to look basically to the past, as I always say. Uh, Trump and the United States are saying this attack uh, was sort of a part of a continuing strategy to apply maximum pressure to Iran, and that that's sort of a uh, the strategy that he's always had, you know, ever since he announced his uh, his his run for president. Very outwardly aggressive. It's not the first time. Obviously, there have been tensions between the United States and Iran. I suppose. The most recent example uh, within the Trump administration is of intense physical conflict was when Iran shot down a U.S. drone flying over the Persian Gulf. Uh, and after meeting with Pentagon officials, as you may remember, I talked about it on this podcast, uh, and it was a big story. Uh, after meeting with Pentagon officials on the same day, Trump basically uh, planned to strike back at Iran. But after he learned that the strike had the potential of killing 150 people, he called the strike off. Fast forward to today. Oh, it has gotten a lot more intense, and instead of the the Iran uh, the, the Iranians shot, shooting down a drone or doing anything, uh, President Trump has taken the aggressive action, at least in in the short term. Soleimani was killed. He is the uh, kind of sort of the leader of what is colloquially known as the terrorist wing of the Iranian military, otherwise informally known as the Armed Forces of the Islamic Republic of Iran. This is what's known as the Quds Force. To put it in simple terms, I suppose, or the <laughs> formal terms, uh, they're a wing, a subdivision of this military that focuses on on unorthodox, unconventional, and intelligence-based operations. Now, to the Americans, that sort of code for terrorism, and in many ways it is. I mean, he is th- this man led this force, which we don't even know the size of, uh, quite honestly, we'll talk about that in a second. But it, he he is responsible, directly responsible for the deaths of hundreds of Americans. Uh, he is certainly 
desta- like totally destabilized uh, Lebanon, uh, Yemen. I mean, the, the man is responsible for for many many tragedies and uh, tragedies that not, have not even happened yet. So there, he's a very bad guy, and it's undeniable that his death as an isolated situation and him being no longer breathing the same air that everyone on the united in that everyone in the world is breathing it is a no doubt an international victory that Qasem Soleimani is dead for some reason there is some doubt and in, in it's all rooted in politics but we'll talk about that in a second anyway to summarize sort of what happened uh, the United States State Department, or more specifically the head of that department, the Honorable Michael Richard Pompeo, who's sort of been the, uh, the, the, the point person publicly on this, has said that this force, the, the Quds force, is distinctly anti-American, and that was one of the few reasons they decided to strike the leader of the force, at least as what we know publicly. Uh, basically, they've sort of, I mean, any, any question that he was asked, and he, he, he appeared on so many networks, uh, but any questions he was asked about actual, like, information, he sort of just defaulted to, uh, I can't discuss confidential information, I can't do this, you know, blah, 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 uh, for national security reasons and such. Pompeo also suggested that there was an active and imminent threat to, the, to American lives in the Middle East that rooted from Soleimani. He said the United States made the decision to attack based off of pure American intel. Now, it doesn't really get much farther uh, than this as far as what we know right now. We don't know... Uh, if there really was an active plot to, uh, you know, I mean, it, it seems basically that from what we know, it wasn't any attacks that were being planned as we know, uh, on the American homeland, but more likely in the Middle East, that there was an imminent threat to American lives in the Middle East. Now the goods force, uh, has not, this is not some modern terrorist organization that was founded a couple years ago. It has been around for years and years, ever, ever since, We've not had dif- diplomatic relations with Iran ever. Every time we've been at war since in 1980, it was founded. Uh, from the from the data I researched, there there isn't really a specific number of uh, that Quds Force is reported to have. In fact, there seems to be a lot of conflict surrounding the reported size of the group. Uh, but it's said that there are somewhere between 10 to 20 thousand members, and and that's what some people say. Others say it could be 50 thousand. But regardless of size, all of these members report directly to the supreme leader of Iran, Mr. Ali Khamenei. Now, this is not the first time this group has specifically caused conflict within the United States. Obviously, there has been a lot of conflict between the United States and Iran uh, surrounding the Quds Force. But dating back to uh, Bush 43's administration, Bush specifically and publicly addressed the Quds Force threats to America and to American lives. Uh, he said, quote, I can say with certainty that the Quds Force, as a part of the Iranian government, has provided these sophisticated improvised explosive devices that have harmed our troops. I'd like to repeat, I do not know whether or not the Quds Force was ordered from the top echelons of government, but my point is what's worse, them ordering it and it happening, or them not ordering it and it happening. And so we will continue to protect our troops. So that's just the beginning of the conflict of the Quds Force with the United States, and even in the larger scale, Iran in the United States. I mean, there were reported ties to Al-Qaeda with this group at one point. Uh, there is no doubt much turmoil uh, with this group and the United States, and it is no doubt a, a some form of a terrorist organization in everyone's mind in the United States. And it, it lies far beyond uh, George W. Bush's administration. Under the Obama administration, in fact, it was discovered that there were literally in, in the active and extensive plans to not only kill Saudi Arabia's U.S. ambassador, but also to attack Israeli and Saudi embassies in Washington, D.C., on the homeland of the United States. 
So obviously, I mean, you would have heard of it if they heard about it if it happened. It did not happen. It was unsuccessful in many ways. Uh, but this is just one of the many, many ways uh, that, uh, besides, of course, the hundreds of American troop, troop deaths in the Middle East as a result directly of the Quds Force led by Mr. Soleimani, that this group is a governmentally supported terrorist organization within the Iranian government. And I think the governmentally supported part of what I just said, it seems to be the part where there's conflict in my mind. Having what America and many of our allies view as a terrorist organization be supported by another country who, who you know, we've had no formal diplomatic relations with for about 39 or 40 years now, a country who Mike, Mike Pompeo has said that we've been at war for 40 years now with, it's pretty dangerous for a couple of reasons. And this, combined with what we assume to be large amounts of confidential intelligence in the short term, likely contributed to Trump's decision to strike Mr. Soleimani at the Baghdad International Airport. As I said before, Mike Pompeo, has the Secretary of State, has sort of been the point person on this entire uh, situation. He appeared on so many. He was on a media sprawl. He was on CNN. He was on ABC This Week. He was on Fox News Sunday. He was on uh, CBS Face the Nation he was on just so many different, I mean, he was on Meet the Press, he was on almost every single network sort of answering the media's questions, sort of trying to tame the situation. He actually did a really good job dodging the questions every single time. He's a, he's a very good uh, very good communicator, in my opinion. He, he did actually pretty well uh, on that level. Uh, but here's what he said, and this is sort of what I thought was consequential, at least in the short term, about American policy and how this decision was not just a sporadic decision with, you know, loose timing, uh, at least from what he believes and what, I mean, he's sort of the only credible source that we could legitimately take uh, information from as it relates to the death of Qasem Soleimani. Here's what he said uh, recently on the news. This was an intelligence-based uh, assessment uh, that drove our decision-making process. Uh, the American people also know the history of Qasem Soleimani, uh, hundreds of American lives on his hands, too. Mm -hmm. So um, he that's what he said, and, and uh, you know, it, it's an intelligence-based assessment. So, I mean, I don't think, you can't question what you don't know. And if there really was an active and imminent threat to American lives, uh, I think it is undeniable and sort of uh, every single American, regardless of politics, should understand that there's, you know, any any active threat to American lives should be, should be neutralized. And I was, I was actually learning about the history of this organization and its sort of modern yet historical anti-American sentiment, I was perplexed why the United States didn't kill this guy sooner. I mean, he was like, he's like an awful human being. Uh, the people who were in power when his rule over this organization was prevalently dangerous, especially against the United States and other countries, by the way, were Mr. George Walker Bush uh, and Mr. Barack Hussein Obama. So why didn't they take this guy out? Uh, well, in 2007, they were actually pretty close to doing so. He's been in the crosshairs of United States uh, military many, many times. Uh, in an article from foreignpolicy.com, retired U.S. General Stanley Allen McChrystal wrote an account of what happened when he and his troops had Soleimani in his crosshairs, but then he decided not to pull the trigger. I always think it's very, very helpful in all these situations to get uh, military experts, especially generals' view on situations like these. I'm going to read part of what he said. He said, Quote, there was good reason to eliminate Soleimani. At the time, uh, Iranian-made roadside bombs built and deployed uh, at his command were claiming the lives of U.S. troops across Iraq. But to avoid a firefight and the contentious politics that would follow, I decided that we should monitor the caravan, not strike immediately. By the time the convoy had reached Erbil, 
Soleimani had slipped away into darkness. These days, he still operates outside the spotlight. Soleimani has grown from a military commander into a ghostly puppet master, relying on quiet cleverness and grit to bolster Iran's international influence. His brilliance, effectiveness, and commitment to his country have been revered by his allies and denounced by his critics in equal measure. What all seem to agree on, however, is that the humble leader's steady uh, hand has helped guide Iranian foreign policy for decades, and there is no denying his successes on the battlefield. Soleimani is arguably the most powerful and unconstrained actor in the Middle East today. U.S. defense and officials have reported that Soleimani is running from uh, running the Syrian civil war via Iran's local proxies all on his own. And you can read that full article at j-roy.com slash m-c-c-h-r-y-s-t-a-l. j-roy.com slash mccrystal with an H. So, that, I mean, that should be more than enough reason uh, to to strike this man. He was running a proxy war all by himself. And by the way, uh, Erbil is the capital of Iraqi Kurdistan. Uh, I mentioned it before, and this was in the article. So, you know, this guy's an, a terrible human being, and he's, as this guy says, arguably the most powerful and unconstrained actor in the Middle East today. There were some other instances in the Bush administration where uh, this came into a question as well. There's actually a fabulous article in Business Insider that discusses all of this. Um, but more recently, in terms of uh, previous administrations, and this is from the, the Business, Insider, Business Insider article, Alyssa Slotkin who represents the 8th District of Michigan in the House currently, worked as a quote-unquote CIA analyst and Pentagon official in the Middle East under issues under both Bush and Obama. And she said, this is super interesting, she said on Twitter that, um, Solem- that uh, as a former Shia militia analyst who served multiple tours in Iraq and worked at the White House under both President Bush and Obama and later at the Pentagon, I participated in countless conversations on how to respond to Qasem Soleimani's violent campaigns across the regions. Or the region, sorry. Um, she goes on in, a, in a, sort of a, a large uh, thread of tweets here, um, but she sort of says, um, the conclusion is, the two administrations I worked for both determined that the ultimate ends didn't justify the means. The Trump administration has made a different calculation. The Iranian government has vowed to retaliate and avenge Soleimani's death, and could do so in a number of ways. So that is really where it comes down to. The the uh, Trump administration seems to neglect the idea of a threat in terms of short-term retaliation. That is why this episode is called Victorious Conflict, because it the isolation the isolated incident of Mr. Soleimani dying is without a doubt an international victory for everyone in this world, in, in, especially holistically in, in the entire grand scheme of things. It is a victory that Soleimani has died. But there are a lot of, of sus- subsequent actions that could come as a result of his death that may not be that may not be the smartest thing or that may be out of control against the United States. It, there's all, but at the same time, there's always going to be short-term retaliation. I mean, that's just how it works. It, that really is how it works. And, and they can't. And, and you know, I, I think the United States is in such a, a powerful and mighty position in the in these types of situations. Uh, you know, the Iran's military spending is, I think, $19.6 billion, and the United States is almost $700 billion. Now, the difference between us and Iran, and Iran is, you know, there's a lot of leaders in Iran that are certifiably insane, and maybe Trump is certifiably insane too, but 
I, I think he has generals that could sort of ease his insanity uh, slightly and at least make more rational decisions based off of... And also Congress, you know? I mean, if we want to go to full-scale war with Iraq, you have to get approve, approval by Congress. There are a lot of bureaucratic hoops. You can't just, you know, bomb, bomb, bomb. That's not really how it works. And that's what Congress has... At least Democrats have been very fired up about. Why didn't you come to Congress with this? Logistically, he doesn't have to, but that's for... I'll talk about that later. Uh, I guess the question now is, what's going to come after this? What, what, what is going to happen? So in April of 2019, Mike Pompeo announced that the United States has designated the Quds Force as a terrorist organization. Now, of course, they've acted on this statement. Now they have killed their leader. And Iran has now vowed severe revenge, quote-unquote, on the United States for their actions. So what does this mean? We don't really, really, really know. But amusingly, the Selective Services website, which is responsible for drafts and military sort of uh, service in, I mean, basically selective services, crashed after uh, uh, fears of a draft circulated on Twitter. People are, 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 you know, afraid of a draft. The likelihood of a full-blown ground war in 2020 against Iran, who spends about $20 billion on military, versus the United States, who spends almost $700 billion in military. And I guess maybe the more important part, not the money, but the actual ground war. It's incredibly unlikely. And I mean this with no exaggeration. The United States is one of the only countries in the world who, with ease and absolutely no support from their allies, in terms of military-wise, could wipe a single country off the map in a matter of days, and in some cases, hours. That's not to degrade our enemies or our allies, but rather to sort of factually exemplify the enormous might of the United States military and how much we spend on this sort of thing. But it is quite fear-provoking, though. I mean, the, the fear of short-term retaliation from Iran is finally coming to fruition, and we really have no idea what will come of this. There's been many, many uh, opinion pieces written about this, uh, but, you know, we'll see what happens. I guess, I mean, really what the, what the question is, was this killing of Qasem Soleimani a good thing? That's what, I mean, America sort of has to debate. And generally, yes. I mean, it is. If you look at the facts and remove any of the binary politics from the situation, the facts are Soleimani killed hundreds of Americans, planned to kill hundreds more, and that was stopped. He was a bad guy, and now he's a dead bad guy. In my mind, it is as simple as that. Now, because we have a Republican president, then the Democrats in Congress are going to fight back. It would be the same way if there was a Democratic president and Republicans would fight back. Anyway, Nancy Pelosi said, and this is where I think it's there, there's measured Democrat responses and there's not by any means measured Democrat responses. And I'm saying this as a fully as an independent uh, because I on this one, I, I do agree with Trump uh, because and I generally on foreign policy, uh, if you look at the facts as we know them, and I'm sure there are many, many more facts that are classified. It is always a victory when a terrorist who was alive is now dead. Uh, I think, I mean, at least in that short incident, it is always a victory. When someone, when a terrorist is killed, it is a victory. But that's really not the concern anymore. It has been done, and now we have to face the consequences or the potential consequences that may come as a result of this. Nancy Pelosi said in response to this, uh, she put out a full statement. She said, American leaders' highest priorities to uh, protect American lives and interests, but we cannot put the lives of, of American service members, diplomats, and others at further risk by engaging in provocative and disproportionate actions. 
What? Okay, I understand. I, I fully understand provocative. I mean, this this action is without a doubt provocative of, I mean, people. I mean, this Twitter, the fears of a draft, <laughs> that's provocative. The the uh, uproar that has come in Iran, the, uh, there's been a lot of actually positive reaction in the region that this man is dead. There are people cheering in the streets that this man has has died. In Lebanon, he's done terrible things to Beirut. He's armed Yemen. I mean, he's, he's a terrible guy who had plans to, uh, and armed people to kill hundreds, if not thousands of people. It is a victory that he has died. But to say that it is disproportionate is just disproportionate. Like, there has to be a better word in the English language to demonstrate your knowledge of what happened here. Provocative is, is understandable, but disproportionate. This guy has killed hundreds of people, and, I mean, you know, well, disproportionate is not, I mean, that's almost like a rare word. I've never even heard someone say as a result of a military action that that, that, that an action is disproportionate. At least publicly as a politician. Uh, and that's just, in my opinion, that's that's just fully incorrect. She goes on to say, Tonight's airstrike risks provoking a further dangerous ex- escalation of violence. America and the world cannot afford to have tensions to escalate to the point of no return. The administration has conducted tonight's airstrikes in Iraq, targeting high-level Iranian military officials and killing Iranian Quds Force Commander uh, Qasem Soleimani without nor- or authorization for use of military force against Iran. Further, this action was taken without the consolation of co- consultation of Congress, and the full Congress must be immediately briefed on the serious situation and then on the next steps uh, under consideration by the administration, including the significant escalation and the deployment of additional troops to the region. I agree with the last sentence. But I disagree with every single thing. Or no, I, I agree with every single thing except for the word disproportionate. I understand having an opinion about uh, this. And I actually, I, I do fear short-term retaliation. In fact, I uh, I mean, Trump has put out, I mean, Iran has threatened a lot uh, after this as a result of this. Uh, and Trump has continued to fight back. He said, we're going to strike 52 of your places if you don't do, you know, and that that makes me a little bit scared. But the isolated incident of Mr. Soleimani dying, being killed, is without a doubt a victory. And you can read Nancy Pelosi's full statement at uh, j-story.com slash Pelosi Iran statement. But yeah, again, I, I don't really understand why you would even care or want or need to say what Nancy Pelosi said if you were on either side of the statement. And I'm saying this even though I take the side of Pelosi on many, many issues. I mean, I, I'm an independent. <laughs> I do think that her and most of her Congress are generally good people. Uh, but I just, why would you say that? I mean, I really don't know. If Mr. Soleimani was just some random military commander who had natural uh, tensions with America, it would be one thing. But this man is the specific leader of a terrorist wing of, an Iranian, of the Iranian military. I also understand the strategy in sort of winning the battle and losing the war type thing. I mean, I half agree with the word provocative, as I said. It is quite clearly provocative on all sides of the foreign spectrum. I mean, Americans are afraid of being drafted, being attacked, and it has provoked many, many Iranians. And some in the region, as I said, with mixed emotion. Yes, mixed. Some are very happy about this. Great conflict brought to Lebanon, Yemen, and so many other places. I mean, these places uh, are just war zones waiting to become or they were war zones waiting to become war zones if they already aren't. That's for a whole entire separate episode, though, the the Middle Eastern conflict as a result of Mr. Soleimani. 
Anyway, I think the, the disproportionate is an ac- inaccurate word to describe many people's feelings about the situation. Uh, but I ho- And I also hope that that's really not what she thinks about this attack, because it's sort of offensive to the many, 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 many people, American troops, their families, to say that this act was disproportionate. You can say the consequences are disproportionate. In fact, I would, ag- I would agree with that, or the potential consequences as a result of the analysis are, are disproportionate. But I think... Uh, Saying that the attack itself is is a sole and isolated incident is is just factually incorrect. But that's that's not even and that that's an example of sort of a half not great but sort of okay response. But where I think the incredibly ludicrous response comes from, or at least one of them, was from Ilhan Omar, who has obviously had quite the tumultuous relationship. Uh, with the president. By the way, as I've stated in the past, the president was fully wrong in saying what he said about her and her fellow congresswoman in the the squad. Uh, but anyway, her response to this situation is absolutely ludicrous. She tweeted, quote, So what if Trump wants war, knows this leads to war, and this needs a distraction? Real question is, will those with congressional authority step in and stop him? I know I will. What? A distraction? <laughs> He's going to start a war to distract everyone from his impeachment. I mean, a president will not be reelected if he starts a war. <laughs> that I mean, you know, <laughs> impeachment is politics. I mean, war is death. You know, the the worst way to be reelected is to start a war. You I mean you're just not going to be reelected if you start a war. Uh spe- you know, I mean, that that just that's fully uneducated and, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, as an independent, I also think that, you know, both parties' responses to foreign policy are often blatantly mischaracterized, the Republicans and the Democrats. So I think a more accurate and measured response to the situation came, for example, from Democratic Senator Chris, uh, Christopher Scott Murphy from Connecticut, who said, quote, Soleimani was an enemy of the United States. That's not a question. That's the first part of his tweet. Apparently, he is. That is a question, according to some people. <laughs> Uh, but the question is, and this is his tweet again, as reports suggest, did America just assassinate without any congressional authorization the second most powerful person in Iran, knowingly set it, setting off a potential massive regional war? Uh, I don't know. That's that's really for you to find out. I mean, you're you're in Congress, and but I, that is a far more re- measured response. And I think it is reassuring to hear a senator a Democrat senator, agree that Soleimani was an enemy of the United States because there have been others who are very hesitant to do that, and it's really scary. Like, you know, it's like, are you going to, I mean, it makes no sense. Are you going to uh, say that a terrorist, or not say that a terrorist is bad just to sort of ensure a political victory? Uh, and, And the same thing goes for the Democrats and the Republicans. I mean, it makes no sense. It just makes, you know, at some point, politics does have to stop interfering with life and death situations. But anyway, I'm on Trump with this one. I mean, whenever the president, and, and I'm very rarely with Trump on anything. Uh, but whenever the, the president acts strongly on anything, there is always conflict. And one less terrorist is always a good thing. Arguably... Uh, Soleimani was one of the worst humans on planet Earth, responsible for pain in and outside of the United States, was reported to be an heir apparent to the supreme leader of Iran. If this guy was the supreme leader of Iran, 
after, you know, if, if, if the current guy died or something, I mean, and then the United States killed him, that would be a much larger, much, much larger, much, 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 much larger, uh, bigger situation. I think the can of worms is obviously open, and who's to blame for that? I don't know. That, I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's just Iran who, 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 whose fault it is. Uh, and the can of worms was open as a result of previous administrations, uh, not only within the United States, but I don't think the can of worms was opened fully, let's just say. The action uh, taken uh, the other day was holistically the most intelligent thing to do, especially considering that no American lives were lost as a direct result of the promulgation of this attack. It was a drone strike. No one died, you know, directly as a result of this attack. And to be clear, I mean, this obviously does not solve all of the world's problems by any means, especially within that region. I mean, there are others who know how to do exactly what Soleimani did. But the fact that he uh, has and is, was a threat, he, you know, he, he, he's just a threat to America, and now he was a threat to America, uh, it's a good thing, his threat was neutral, neutralized, that's the end of that chapter, but there still is another chapter, I mean, what happens next, Iran continues to threaten action against the United States in a very, in very broad terms, and Trump has doubled down on his very aggressive agenda when it comes to Iran, at least verbally, now, we don't know, you know, where this is going to go next, but, uh, because I agree, uh, with where this thing is, where it started, I do not agree, it does not mean I, I agree with how it might end, I really, I want to state that very clearly, because I don't know what the heck Donnie's going to do next, uh, yesterday, Trump said, I ran on Twitter, he said, I ran is talking very boldly about targeting certain USA assets as revenge for our, uh, for, uh, ridding the world of their terrorist leader who had just killed an American and badly wounded many others, not to mention all the other people he had killed over his lifetime, including recently hundreds of Iranian protesters. He was already attacking our embassy and preparing for additional hits in other locations. Iran uh, has been nothing but problems for many, many years. Let this serve as a warning that if any, if, if Iran strikes any Americans or American assets, we have targeted 52 Iranian sites representing the 52 American hostages taken by Iran many years ago, some at a very high level and important to Iran and the Iranian culture, and those targets and Iran itself will be hit very fast and very hard, all in caps. The USA wants no more threats. So uh, he's communicating with foreign leaders about war over Twitter again. And uh, there's been some concern. I mean, he said that <laughs> that the things that he's planning to strike are of cultural importance to Iran, which is a really stupid thing to say uh, because it is a war crime to strike something of uh, direct and significant cultural um, uh, importance. Trump said, oh, well, I mean, you know, coincidentally, he stopped prosecuting war crimes as a country. So that's sort of interesting. Uh, but I think Pompeo, I, I know Pompeo was questioned by George Stephanopoulos this morning about is this a war crime to to kill and to blow up uh, or strike or commit any sort of act of violence against from a, from the United States against Iran on cultural institutions? Mr. Pompeo said there should be no question. We're going to act within the law, and I do. I mean, I, I believe that. And again, it's not the first time, specifically with with this administration, that there has been verbal conflict. There has been tons of verbal conflict. In fact, on July 22nd, 2018, at 10.24 p.m., Trump tweeted, quote, to Iranian President Rouhani, never, ever threaten the United States again or you will suffer consequences the likes of which few throughout history have ever suffered before. We are no longer a country that will stand for your demented words of violence and death. 
be cautious. That is what uh, the man has said, and that is what he sort of done. It has done. Uh, those are all verbal words, though. This is the first time the administration has taken concisive and offensive action against this uh, organization and Iran itself. Super interesting. We're going to see where it goes, and hopefully, I mean, I really, really hope that there is no large-scale conflict that comes from Iran and the United States as a result of this. We do not need war. We do not need it. <laughs> really, I hope there is peace. That's all I wish for. All I wish for. Ah, so there's a lot to talk about. Um, that's sort of where we stand right now with Iran. Uh, again, as I've said many, many times on this episode just alone, it is without a doubt a victory that this man, uh, Qasem Soleimani, has died. What will come of it, we don't know. Uh, and we'll see We'll see exactly what happens in the future. Um, we're going to check in and see, we'll continue to follow this, obviously, uh, on the Jay Doherty podcast in future episodes. Make sure you uh, subscribe if you'd like to do that. It's not over yet. We're 32 minutes and 53 seconds into this episode. We're going to take a quick break, come back and talk about 2020 candidates. They're spending money on digital advertisements in a unique and very drawn-out way. Talk about disproportionate. This is a lot of money, and it comes from billionaires and people who get a lot of campaign donations. We're going to talk about all of that next on episode number 117 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. January podcast episode number 117, Sunday, January 5th, 2019, 3.56 p.m. Thank you very much for being here. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, 2020 race continues even through all this madness. Uh, Michael Bloomberg is spending millions of dollars on digital advertising for his campaign and not in the way that you might think or not at the scale that you might think. Interesting article in The Verge written two days ago, that says, quote, the amount of cash Bloomberg is pouring into the race is staggering, especially compared to other candidates who are still in the contest. Buttigieg's campaign, which is pulling at 9%, has, quote, spent $4.6 million on Google Ads since last April. Warren's, which is at 16%, has spent $3.7 million since last January. And Sanders, who is pulling at 19%, has spent $3.2 million since last February. Trump has spent a little less than Buttigieg, about $4.5 million since June of 2018, but his PAC, on the other hand, has spent almost $10 million in the same amount of time. Bloomberg has spent almost $15 million to be in your Google search results. If you type in impeachment, Mike Bloomberg is the first one to come up. It says Trump, Trump's broken promises. Enough is enough. We deserve better. MikeBloomberg.com slash out with Trump. Crazy. Tons of money. Uh, And this is also reflective of how the uh, political landscape in terms of advertisement has changed so dramatically. I mean, it used to be TV ads, and it still is TV ads. I mean, really, in any election, the biggest, without a doubt, the biggest financially uh, impacted and, like, the people who make the most money in any election is the ad companies who put these things on TV. 
So it's always a good season for them when there's a national or even a state election. Uh, and there's a lot to come also, you know, in terms of advertising. Uh, if we look how, you know, what, I mean, the, the according to RollCall.com, nearly $10 billion will be spent on political ads in 2020. In 2000, there were $2 billion spent. 2004, almost $3 billion. 2008, a little bit over $3 billion. 2012, $4.3 billion. 2016, a massive jump up to $6.3 billion. And then even a, it's double the amount of money that has jumped from 2012 to 2016. I mean, $4.7 billion more. And then 2016, at a whopping $10 billion that is projected. $6.3 billion was spent in, or in 2016. $6.3 billion on campaign advertisement. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Especially compared to how it was just $2 billion in 2000. Very super, super interesting. Um, there, there, and there's also so many ads. I mean, you literally, you cannot... You cannot watch a YouTube video without getting an ad for Bloomberg or Tom Steyer or someone else. Tons of money that are being put into these campaign ads. And it's really interesting, too, uh, how technology is, is impacting this whole thing. You may remember how Elizabeth Warren <laughs> tooled with Facebook, put up those fake ads. There was some other recent news. Spotify, I believe, is no longer allowing political ads to be on uh, their platform to avoid all this nonsense about, you know, fake news and stuff. And that is a growing concern. We talked about yesterday, Joe Biden, that edited racist video of him talking about European culture and sort of a uh, white nationalist sentiment being brought in. And the guy just edited a part of the video out to make it seem like he was saying racist things when he really wasn't. It's a very dangerous thing, and I think uh, the idea of spending all this money and trying to get these ads tries to tame tame the tame the message and sort of uh, rein it in a little bit. But it's interesting to see how they're going to do it, uh, and we'll see how it goes. I mean, twenty twenty is going to be really, really interesting election in my in my mind. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm very excited to see exactly what happens uh, in the twenty twenty election. I don't know. I, I cannot make a prediction. None of the candidates at this point, in my mind, seem like prizes. We just saw Marianne Williamson fired all her staff. We saw Julian Castro dropped out. We saw Joe Biden get an edited racist video of him. All in one week. Crazy election. Crazy times we live in. Between foreign policy, domestic races and stuff. Oh, it's such an interesting time to live in. And uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about it and continue to talk about it. It's 4.01 p.m. right now on the Jade Dory Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to uh, get more of this podcast, I ask you please to consider subscribing. And uh, if you like it, give a five-star review on iTunes to allow us to persist. We'll talk a lot about it on the episode number 118. It's lots of cool stuff to come. If you want to learn more, j-dory.com is the website. Thedortyfiles.com if you want to get archive clips and show highlights and so many other things. Thank you so much for listening to the Jade Ordy Podcast, episode number 117. Have a great day. The 
Jay Doherty Podcast is hosted, produced, edited, and mixed by Jay Doherty. TJDP is voiced by Newsmic VoiceOver, hosted by Blueberry, and edited with Audition. The Jay Doherty Podcast is a JD Media Network production. Copyright Jay Doherty 2019. Make sure to listen to other JD Media Network productions like the JDRC Politics Podcast for weekly discussions on international politics or the Weekly File Podcast for all the news, just the facts. Learn more and hear more of this content at j-doherty.com or view archive clips and show highlights at the Doherty Files.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the J. Doherty Podcast.